Hey, uh, in a moment, we're going to just unpack a, a story out of, uh, it's recorded mostly in John's Gospel. In fact, we're going to zoom in on one individual, uh, one of the disciples who you, I'd be interested if if I asked you to name the disciples where he would come uh, on your list. And I might even do that in a moment. But just at the start of this story, we're going to pull up this verse in a few moments time, is actually the first recorded question or statement from Jesus in his ministry. The only one I could find prior to that is when he's having a discussion with his parents as any 12-year-old, you know, cantankerous teenager would have done when his parents said, where were you? We've been looking everywhere. And he says, well, isn't it obvious? I was in my father's house about my father's business. That's the first little bit of red I can find in in Luke's gospel. Uh, But but John, in his gospel, records what, what I think is the first question that Jesus asks anyone who follows him. It's four words long. And as I, as I read this, I was just going to sort of move on from it quickly, but it's stuck in my mind this week, these four words. And, and I actually think they're pretty important for all of us here today to hear. Jesus says, looks around and looks at these uh, two guys who want to follow him and says, what do you want? How powerful is that, right? How, how wise, how deep, what do you want? Or you could read it a different way with like a sense of expectation in it. As Jesus says, what do you want? That, that phrase actually pops up later on. Jesus asks another guy that question, a guy called Bartimaeus, who I think is the smartest guy in the Bible. I preached a message on that years ago, and, and it's a great one to ask people, who do you think is the smartest person in the Bible? I think it's blind Bartimaeus sitting on the dusty roadside as Jesus wanders on by. Because Jesus turns to him, he's crying out and trying to get Jesus' attention. He can tell there's something good coming his way. And then Jesus looks at him and says, what do you want? And I think he's the smartest guy in the Bible because he could answer that question. So here's my question to you today. What's your answer to that question? What do you want? If Jesus was front and center staring you in the face today and said, what do you want? Could you answer that question? What's coming to your mind right now? I bet you, you're processing, right? It's, it's happening. You're thinking, oh gosh, I don't know. Would I ask for like a car or a, you know, could you pay off my mortgage? Or, um, you know, when Solomon gets asked, what do you want? He's, he's asleep. He's dreaming. And he even answers right. I want to be like that guy. He wants wisdom, not riches, not all. What do you want? You know, the answer to that question will reveal so much about how you see God. It will reveal so much about your theology. It will reveal so much about how you think God sees you. If you were to chew on something out of all the other stuff I might share with you today, I'd encourage you to chew on that over this, maybe over this period of prayer and fasting. What do you want? Don't go into a season of prayer and fasting without at least having a sense of how you would answer that question. What are you praying and believing for? Because if you, if you can't articulate it, I'd suggest that it means you probably don't believe Jesus can do it. If you're hesitant to put it out there, maybe that says something about your view of who God is. Or maybe it says something about your your view of who you are as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. A simple question like that can reveal so much 
about your faith. So I encourage you, pray about it, think about it. Maybe you're here today and you literally, you don't know what it is to live in a relationship with Jesus. That is the most important question that you could ever be asked. What do you want? If God was who He says He is, the Jesus that we've sung about, the Jesus I'm gonna talk about for a few moments here today, if He's the creator of the universe, if He's the only one who can make you right with God, not forget everything everybody else has told you about Him, everything you maybe you've heard on the grapevine, what somebody else thinks about Jesus. If He is who He says He is, the Son of God, takes away the sins of the world who died for you, what do you want? What would he say to you today? Up close, personal, reading your mail, knowing, I love that, that bit that Toby shared. Jesus was listening in. You know, he's listening in. <laughs> he knows what you're thinking. He knows, he knows what's going on in your heart. Not the you that you present to everybody else when you put on your church clothes today, but the you that woke up first thing this morning, maybe before your alarm clock, a little bit worried about what's coming up ahead of you. Maybe the you who's a bit worn out by the events of the last couple of weeks. Maybe the you who's nervously expectant about what is to come. What do you want? Before we finish up today, if you're on a journey towards Jesus and we're gonna have a chance to pray together, and see you step into a, a life of faith. And that is God's question to you here today. What do you want? The Bible says that that's what faith is. Coming to God, believing that He is God. Not believing that He's like a little bit better than the nicest person you know, but that He's actually God, the creator of the universe. You can't ask questions that'll break Him. You can't outthink Him. You can't outgive Him. You can't... He's, He's big enough to handle wherever you're at and whatever your questions are. So I hope we get a chance to pray together a little later and help you on a journey of faith. Hey, thank you, team. Appreciate your help there. Great work, Daz. Give your hand up for left-handed guitarists. They're rare and they're special. And uh, I gave you a, a, a wrong See, we Let's do, when we come back, let's do, um, what was the other song? Indiana Jones theme, yep, that would be good. Uh, let, let's do House of Miracles, that come alive in the name of Jesus. Yeah, sorry, I got my songs wrong before. Can't be trusted with anything. Don't give me any choices, guys. All right, and we better riff into this um, and have a bit of fun here today. Uh, so I, I was going to, um, in, my, in my thinking, the, the message today, I was going to share uh, about unsung heroes. But, but I realised I really should have retitled it The Hemsworth Effect. The Hemsworth effect, right? And so we'll get there in a moment's time, the Hemsworth effect. But, um, but I want to ask you another question. I apologise uh, if that makes you uncomfortable, but uh, I feel like asking questions helps us go on the journey together. Because what you don't need today is me to just tell you some stuff that I think makes me seem intelligent. Or, um, but, but I want to actually go on a bit of a journey together and look at, look at what um, we can learn out of God's Word together and let it challenge us and stir us. And I want to ask you this other, this other question. Maybe this will I'll just like trigger warning. This might take you back to awkward moments in high school. Um, 
And uh, you might just have an involuntary shudder at some point. But can you take yourself back maybe to a, an early moment in your sporting career? Uh, maybe it was dodgeball time and recess or maybe you're just playing handball and whatever it was. Can you remember a moment when we, where they were picking teams? Maybe you were picking a team or maybe you were just waiting and hoping you didn't get picked last. So here's my question for you, right? Is if you were Jesus, who would you have picked for your team? And again, I know it seems like a silly question. And as silly as it is, it also probably talks a little bit about your understanding of God. Who does Jesus pick? Right? Who did he pick? Who would he pick? And by extension, like, has he chosen you? Would he pick you? Or are you sitting there thinking, well, I don't quite measure up. Or maybe I'm not quite. I mean, we've got to get that figured out. Maybe Jesus would pick me last if there were the, you know, the list of the disciples. Would I be the, the last one? You know, guy who got chosen by random chance, by lots, just to fill Judas's place after, you know, it's a rough gig. Who can name some of the disciples, right? Can you just feel free to shout out. It's okay. It's okay. Right? You won't break church if you, if you say, who can name? Let's, let's go through some of the lists. Who can name some of the disciples? John. Yes, Deb. Yes, Deb. Peter. Peter. Okay, we're off to a good start. All right, I'm just going to flip over. Let's keep going. Come on, John, Peter. Matthew, Thomas. Doing all right. James, yep. Judas. Andrew. Who said Andrew. We have a spiritual brother here today. <laughs> Who else? Bartholomew. Did we have a Bartholomew? Or did I just tip that? Oh, excellent. We've got a whole spiritual row here. <laughs> My goodness. Judas. Yep, yep. There's a double up. Anyone got a, anyone know the double up? We've had, yeah, we've got Thomas. We had a, there's a couple of Jameses. Yeah, yeah, there's two Jameses, right? We've got Simon. A whole bunch of, uh, well, not close, but not quite. Like, there's a whole bunch of interesting characters. And I want to hone in on one here, a guy called Andrew. A guy called Andrew, right? Because can anyone tell me anything about Andrew? <laughs> yeah, he's like, he's someone's, he's, someone's, he's someone's brother maybe. That's why, and, and look, we might as well just go with the image. I wasn't sure when to put this up. We'll just go with the image. Um, the, if we could put that one photo up on the screen. This is what I was going to call the Hemsworth, <laughs> the Hemsworth effect. So this was me. Um, so Chris Hemsworth, he uh, has a place up in Byron Bay. My parents live not far from that. And I was up there hanging out and uh, we took this photo together. Um, uh, so... Right, like everyone knows Chris Hemsworth and then the other guys, right? You know, some of you, some of you might know, the younger folks might know them from, you know, uh, more recent uh, efforts. But I think probably most of us in the room would be able to pick Chris Hemsworth, Thor, right? And then the others, well, they're Chris Hemsworth's brothers, right? And that's the situation Andrew finds himself in. Andrew is Peter's brother, was anyone that person going through school, right? You were, you were forever known as someone else's sister or someone else's brother. Thank you. Thank you, guys. You can take it down. I get awkward, like with, yeah, with those handsome people behind me. It just makes me feel just sort of, I average things out um, and we don't need that today. So the Hemsworth effect, poor old Andrew is, is Peter's brother. Now, what do we know about Peter? 
Does anyone know anything about Peter? He, he did some, some interesting things. Peter features a lot, right? He, he, he yeah, he's, he's like waving his sword around, right? Peter's, Peter covers all bases. He's chopping ears off, right? He's up on, he's, he's also the one denying Jesus, right? He, he's got a really checkered history, Peter. He's also the one who's standing up on the day of Pentecost and preaching boldly, right? That's not long after he'd been denying Jesus. He is also the one who comes out with the right statement when Jesus says, who do people say I am? And then who do you say I am, right? He gets that one right. But then Jesus also has to rebuke him and say, get behind me, Satan, because he gets it wrong at another time. Peter's the one who says, no, 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 Jesus, you won't wash my feet. And then when Jesus says, you know, Peter, calm down, you don't really get what I'm saying. And he says, oh, wash all of me, Jesus. That's way more awkward than washing his feet, right? <laughs> Peter's just always, the he's, he's up, down, he's everywhere. And then can you imagine, we've, we've left out something else that Peter does. It's pretty impressive. He's the one who gets to have a go walking on the water as well. Peter's all over the place. He's living his best life, right? He's got the full Christian experience. And then you've got poor Andrew, who's like Peter's brother. <laughs> Peter's out there doing all these things. And one passage will see that, that, that actual, uh, that dichotomy there. And it's such a challenge. I, maybe you feel like a bit of an Andrew. Maybe you feel like the least impressive person in the room. Maybe you think, well, I'd probably be the one Jesus would choose last. I don't have a speaking gift. I don't have the faith that caused me to walk on waters. I wish I could say something that would get Jesus' attention, even if it's the wrong thing. I wish I had the boldness to, to actually give an answer, right? Maybe, maybe you feel a little bit like you, you live in the shadow of somebody else or even in the shadow of who you wish you were or feel like you should be. Well, then... I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you about being an ordinary follower of Jesus, an unsung hero. There are far more of them than there are the Peters. And we need the Peters, right? We need the Dan and Ebony's. We need the people who are just a little bit unhinged enough <laughs> to say yes in the silly moments, right? But then most of us, right, we'll spend most of us, in fact, all of us, are called to live out this life of faith in the context of everyday life, right? Up, up, up rubbing shoulders with everyday people, struggling, overcoming, highs, lows, everything in between, and just walking out this journey of faith and sticking at it. And I'm so encouraged by Andrew's story. We're going to pick it up in John uh, chapter 1. Uh, John, John 1 covers... A lot of ground. John 1 starts us off uh, in like the beginnings of eternity. Uh, the John takes a cosmic view. His gospel is just whoom, this big bird's eye view. All right. You know, the Christmas stories in like Matthew and Luke and Mark is like the GoPro gospel. Mark's the gospel that'll give you a little bit of motion sickness because he just bang, 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 bang. Like John's, John's gospel starts in the beginning. Right. And, you know, the word already existed. He was with God and he was God. Incredible. But by the end of John's gospel, Jesus is already an adult and starting his ministry in, in John 1. So John covers an incredible amount of ground. And in there, he tells a bit of the story of John the Baptist as well. So John the Baptist is ministering 
right? And he is baptizing uh, people. He is ministering uh, alongside the river and he knows he's come to prepare the way for Jesus. And we actually first encounter Andrew here in John chapter one as one of John the Baptist's followers, actually. It seems he'd left his birthplace of Bethsaida and followed this fiery preacher from the wilderness known for his baptism of repentance on the banks of the Jordan River down near Jericho in Jerusalem. Jesus has recently, recently entered the scene and John has declared him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one you've been waiting for. There are people confused about who John was. He was pretty impressive. He was going against the grain. God was clearly using him, but he kept having to say to people, I'm not the one. I'm just here to prepare the way. And so in John 1, if we pick up verse 36 uh, through to 42, I think we can uh, read this together. John 1, 36 to 42, we start to uh, look into this story. As Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. It's funny, they've already had that moment the, the, the previous day and John has said, look, this is the one I saw the Spirit descending upon him. It's a funny picture, isn't it? Like, do you, put yourself in the story. John's announced Jesus. And then the next day, I don't know if Jesus is just kind of wandering around, maybe just out for a coffee and wanders down and John goes, hey, look, there he is again. <laughs> it's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he declares this. And it says, when John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. That's a tough day at the office for John. So when John's disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around, saw them following. And here's that first question we were talking about. He said, what do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That seems like a Bit of an odd question. You could read that to mean, hey, where are you? We want to be near, like a students would follow and live and travel with their teachers. So Jesus looks around, sees them, says, what do you want? And they said, teacher, where are you staying? Goes on to say, Andrew, right? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who heard what John said and then followed Jesus. So even there, poor Andrew, he's Simon Peter's brother. We actually haven't even met Peter yet. How bad is that? Poor Andrew. We have literally not been introduced to Peter yet in the story. And he's already called Andrew Simon Peter's brother. Heard what John said and then followed Jesus. Right? And then the next verse, or either Andrew, look at this. Andrew went to find his brother Simon, right? And told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And then Andrew... Maybe you're going to pick up what I'm putting down here. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. How cool is that? Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, Your name is Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. Later on, Jesus says, Peter, you know, on this rock, I'll build my church. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. And we'll actually, guys, we'll pause that one there and we'll pick that verse up a little bit later. So here we have Andrew encountering Jesus. What's the very first thing Andrew does? Goes and finds his brother. He says, Peter, you've got to come and, come and meet Jesus. I've found the Messiah. I've found what we've all been looking for and what we've all been waiting for. You know, the other Gospels record the encounters that Jesus have 
with Andrew and Peter and then James and John, another set of brothers, down on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And they become Jesus' first disciples. And what's fascinating is later on, Peter, James and John are often referred to as sort of Jesus' inner circle, those three. Andrew was a part of the foursome at the start. It's not like he fell out of favour, but just kind of reinforce it. Andrew was, he was just an ordinary guy like you and I. He was one of the disciples. In fact, you could potentially argue from this passage that he was the first one. And, and yet he's, he's still there in the book of Acts when the Spirit falls in the upper room. But he, he hasn't been the most remarkable guy on the story. Doesn't that give you some hope and <laughs> some encouragement? Hey, maybe I'm doing okay. Maybe Jesus can use me too. Let's see how Jesus uses and works through Andrew. Right, so these guys are starting to follow Jesus here. It's, it's a little bit like, you know, the, the question people often ask, well, who was the guy who saw Billy Graham saved? You know, we, we might know about all that Billy Graham did, but there was someone who reached out to Billy Graham. Maybe you've watched the movies recently. Who were the, who were the people who signed or, or picked Michael Jordan, you know? Who are the people who first noticed the talent in somebody else? Who are the people behind the people that we all know and think about? Now, we see a couple more significant moments where Andrew is involved as we journey through John's gospel. He is mentioned as being in the upper room when the Holy Spirit falls. Uh, and he doesn't show up, though, as a hero in the book of Acts. He's not Peter planting churches. He's not, he's not you know, Paul getting radically converted. He he's, tracks this unremarkable but straight path from first disciple to faithful follower. And so in John 6, Andrew is featured again, but easily overshadowed in many of the gospel accounts. For what John records in in chapter 6 here is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, which is immediately followed by the disciples jumping into a boat, heading out across the lake, And Jesus comes out walking on the water. Now, in Matthew's gospel, he records Peter jumping out and walking on the water in that moment as well. And so we can read these passages, and you might know some of those. You might have heard of the story of of Jesus feeding the 5,000. He's been teaching and preaching, and more and more people are crowding around. So he goes up onto a hillside to speak to them all, and and it's getting getting towards uh, dinner time. And they say there's 5,000, and that's just the men. Then there's the women and children as well. There's a massive crowd of people, and there's nothing to eat. And the disciples being probably everyday people like you and I saying, Jesus, you know, we can't deal with this. We've got to send them home to, to get their dinner. It's about time, you know, Jesus, you know, you're doing some pretty amazing stuff, but why don't we call it for a day uh, and, uh, and, and just move on to the practical things. They're always thinking about their stomachs, the disciples, a little bit like you and me, hey? And after this incredible miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000 from, who knows what he did it worth, right? You know, the little kid with the five loaves and two fishes and 5,000 hungry all around him. So what did he do? Anyone remember that's just me. Deb, yes. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Deb. <laughs> that was a that was a pity hand raise, wasn't it? Yeah, just to make me feel okay. So this incredible miracle, right? And that's amazing. And then the next thing rolls on, and then Peter's walking on the water again, the star of the show. But if we pick up in in John chapter six, verses five to nine, and let's have a have a little look through that passage uh, together. And uh, we see Andrew appearing again. 
So Jesus saw this huge crowd of people coming to look for him, right? So turning to Philip, he asks, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Philip's a champion of a guy. He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, Philip's a maths man, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them all. That's the sum total of Philip's contribution in this story, right? Yeah, thanks, buddy. Good work. Good work. State the obvious. And then what happens next, right? Next verse. Then Andrew, who? The Hemsworth effect, Simon Peter's brother. Come on. He's earned a little bit of cred by now. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. That's an entire verse of the Bible. How about that for verse of the day? Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. And what does Andrew notice though? Look at this, look at this. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Now, Andrew hasn't exactly solved the problem either, but I feel like he's a little bit ahead of Philip in the game. He's like, well, mate, I guess we need to start with something, Jesus. So this is what we've figured out. Jesus says, tell everybody to sit down. Right, and, and so they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The man alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterwards, he did the same with the fish. They all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told the disciples, right, to gather it all up. And they picked up the pieces, filled 12 baskets with the leftovers um, and away they went. So pretty cool outcome, right? You know what it started with? Andrew saying, well, got something. Doesn't look like much. I don't really know what to do with it, Jesus. But here's this kid. I was just wandering around doing my thing, Jesus. It's 5,000 men plus women and children. At least 10, maybe 15,000 people there. And in my head, Andrew's just sort of wandering around doing his thing. Andrew's a connector. He's just wandering around chatting with people. He's not, not just up the front with the disciples and the ministry team, you know, in the, in, the, in the spotlight. He's just wandering around. I wonder if he's started up chat. He's a fisherman, right? And this kid's got fish. There's an obvious inroad. Let's talk about that. You make coffee. I like coffee. You're we're good friends now, right? Every barista in the world is my friend. You know, like he's just found a point of connection with this kid and just has a chat with him, right? Andrew is a connector. And Andrew's always bringing people to Jesus. And he brings this kid and says, look what this guy's got. Maybe you can do something with this, Jesus. See, Andrew isn't the guy with all the answers, but he knows the guy with all the answers. And I love what Andrew does. It's just never about him. It's always about Jesus. He's never saying, well, well here's what I've learned from, from hanging around with Jesus. Shazam, you know, and see what, see what happens. Or did I, maybe I needed to stand on one foot when I did that. And maybe I needed to, you know, pray and fast for, for 22 days. There's a, there's a message for somebody. You're going to, no. <laughs> Andrew knows a guy who knows what to do. We go on a little bit further. It's funny how Andrew uh, and Philip kind of pop up together there. Andrew and Philip pop up together as a bit of a duo a little bit later on as well uh, in chapter 12 of John's Gospel. And uh, we'll, just, we'll just read that really quickly in John uh, chapter 12, verses 20 to 22. And uh, it, it says some Greeks who had come to Jerusalem for the Passover uh, celebration paid a visit to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, which is actually uh, Andrew's hometown. 
They said, sir, we want to meet Jesus. Pretty fair. We want to meet Jesus. What did Philip do again? I feel sorry for Philip. I'm like, Philip, what was, what was your deal, man? Were you like the remedial disciple or something? Were you just the one who, I don't know. Philip, Philip, what does Philip do? Philip tells Andrew about it. Isn't that fascinating? Like that that's even recorded. Philip tells Andrew about it and they went together to ask Jesus. I don't know what the story is. In fact, if we were, we won't do it for time, but, but you can go back into John 1 if you want and read on. It says that after, G, after Andrew had introduced Peter to Jesus, it says then Jesus decided to go to Bethsaida, which is the town where they were from. And when they get there, he calls Philip to be his disciple and Philip calls Nathaniel into the picture as well. And then we keep seeing Philip and Andrew. So I actually, well, I put all that together and think, hey, I wonder if Philip was one of Andrew's friends and Andrew was part of the, the reason maybe Jesus went to that area and then Jesus begins to call Philip. And so right from the very beginning, what's Andrew been doing? Bringing people to Jesus. Just, just pure and simple. It's one of the unsung heroes of the faith just because he didn't try to have all the answers but he knew the guy who did have all the answers. You see, for Andrew, it was all about Jesus. He didn't try to make it all about him. It wasn't about the latest book he'd read or the latest podcast he'd listened to that he was claiming as his own or, uh, you know, repackaging or, or anything else. Andrew was a connector. To me, that meant he was interested in people, not just himself. He was the kind of person who would slow down long enough to, to actually mean it when he says, hey, how are you? Maybe ask the follow-up question. It was the kind of person who wasn't moving so quickly through the crowd of 5,000 that he didn't spot the, the little kid with the five loaves and the two fishes. It was the kind of person who wasn't rushing on to answer all the questions, but thinking, hey, what would Jesus say about this situation? Maybe I should just bring this person to Jesus. He saw opportunities. If you, if you think about who he connected with, he was able to connect with connect those who he did everyday life with, his brother even. I mean, I've got two boys. They don't listen to each other. They don't take advice from each other. There is no way if one of them said, hey, I've found this cool thing, the other one would, by definition, determine that that was very uncool because his brother thinks it's cool. But he even could translate something like that to his family. Sometimes it's hardest to connect with those closest to us. With his, his fishing buddies, James and John, with Philip, probably his, another one of his friends, he was able to cross those barriers. We read that he was able to connect with a kid with a bunch of fish and a, a few loaves of bread as well. We read these were the Greeks, so the Gentiles, the outsiders coming, wanting to meet Jesus. He was able to connect cross-culturally as well. Philip, Philip uh, Andrew was able to connect across any kind of barrier you can think about in any situation with anybody because he wanted them to meet Jesus. And when you read it, it he doesn't say, seem to say any particularly spiritual things. He doesn't preach at them. We don't have any records of that sort of thing from Andrew. We just, we just have this picture of a guy who was absolutely captivated by who Jesus was, who from the very first moment he encountered him, said, I'm, giving, I'm committing my life to this guy. I'm going to follow him. His first question was, where are, you going? where are you staying? I just want to be around you, Jesus. And that was all that it took, that and a, a, a simple boldness to bring people to Jesus. And he pops up again and again and again in the chain of faith that leads to you and I sitting here in this room today. 
The early church was birthed because Andrew told his brother Peter about the Messiah. And you and I are sitting here in the echoes of that a couple of thousand years later. And so that's the, I guess that's the, the final question I have for you here today is what does that mean for you? What does that say to you? I'll get the band to come back and help me out as we get ready to finish up. What does that mean for you here today? I wonder how often we hesitate because we're worried about what to say. I wonder how often we, we worry about how, Jesus, how people might think about Jesus, how they might receive. You don't have to worry about that. Jesus can take care of himself. You have to do his job for him. Andrew never tried to. He just said, here, Jesus, look what I've got. It seems a little, just a few fish, a couple loaves of bread, but hey, I'm sure you can do something with it. Hey, we want to, you know, some, some Gentiles, some, some outsiders come along, cross-cultural. What do we do with it? Well, let me just introduce you to Jesus. Really, really simple. Don't have to have it all figured out, but he knew someone who did. You know, maybe, maybe you're like me and sometimes you can get caught up waiting for the perfect moment. Maybe we forget what we already have and overcomplicate the goodness of God. That He's got something to speak to everybody, anytime. You know, I've discovered just by trial and error over time that, that most people will say yes if you just say, can I pray for you? You hear about something, people don't necessarily need your wise advice. Maybe, maybe there's moments when you're called to give that. But actually, maybe you could just involve Jesus in the conversation. That's what Andrew was so good at doing. Trust him to take care of the situation. Maybe, maybe what God's speaking to you about is, hey, maybe just don't move quite so fast in your day-to-day life. Maybe notice the people around you a little bit more. Maybe stop and make eye contact with the person at the checkout. Maybe, here's a radical thought, don't go through the self-serve. Go through a lane so you can actually have a conversation with somebody and not just see, yeah, them as a distraction for your, in your busy life, right? Maybe slow down long enough to notice somebody. Tell you, you know, you know how to live a really scary life is to say, Jesus, use me to speak to somebody tomorrow and then wake up and spend your day looking for that opportunity. Tell you what, they're the kind of prayers that Jesus answers. What if we do just step out in faith and see what God can do instead of writing people off before things are even set in motion? Let's not overcomplicate what God wants to do, hey? Let's not package it up for Him. Well, let's just remember who Jesus is. Trust Him to be all that He says He is. See, the thing that was special about Andrew was Jesus. So here, and this is, I wrote this down for me. Not for you, but you can take it if you want. But this is for me, okay? I'm just going to share it with you. I wrote, wrote to myself here, stop trying to be remarkable and introduce people to the one who really is. That's Jesus. You know, if, if somebody invited you here today, you've been wondering about Jesus, maybe this is a first time for you, or maybe you've heard about God, maybe you it's in your background, in your family. But if you don't know who Jesus is for real, then don't be intimidated by any of this. Don't be intimidated by, well, I didn't know the words to the song or I'm, I 
Don't I? We, we all think what we're doing here in this room is normal, but it's okay. It's not. It's really not normal. We're speaking a different language half the time. We're, we're acting as if, you know, sitting in rows like this and staring at a stage is normal. It's not. Most people aren't doing that right now. None, none of this is normal. And the person who maybe brought you here or has spoken to you about Jesus, they're not normal either. And they haven't got it all figured out. So don't model on them either. But they do know somebody who does have it all figured out, and that's Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you don't know what it is. This is one way I like to put it. You don't know what it is. If you were to pray a prayer right now and you weren't sure if God would hear and answer, then maybe there's a step for you to take. That might mean you've kind of drifted out of a relationship with God. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home or had that influence in your life. But if you're honest with yourself right now, that's not a real living thing for you. If you're a bit hesitant, hey, is God here and does He care? Then maybe I'm speaking to you right now. Or maybe you're here because somebody's invited you. Maybe you looked it up on the web or saw the social media posts. Or I don't know every story in here. In fact, I don't know many of your stories. But I want to tell you that what's remarkable about this place is not the great music or the awesome lights or this is a prophetic statement, how great the coffee's going to be or, or, or the kids' program or the, all the other wonderful things that you'll experience. Well, that's, not, that's not what's remarkable about this place. What's remarkable about this place is that it's all about a guy called Jesus. And, and all I want to do here today, if, if that's where you're at, is, is kind of do what John got to do there and say, point out the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Even that's a funny statement, the Lamb of God, Son of God. What it means is that Jesus was a sacrifice. He was a spotless, perfect, pure sacrifice. There's a whole lot of history behind that that I won't go into right now, but He was God's best. And you and I, we're far from that. We've missed the mark. Everyone in this room included. Bible says it like this, we've fallen short. Ever fallen short? <laughs> Tried to be the smartest person in the room? <clears throat> Wasn't. Tried to be the fastest one on the track? Wasn't. Fallen short. Well, well, but we've all fallen way short of God's standards. God's not just nicer than the best person you know. It's even, not even just a little bit nicer than Toby. It's remarkable, incredible. And God gave his best, Jesus, to take your place, to pay the price for your sins. See, there's, there's no way that you and I can be right with God except through Jesus, except through his sacrifice, his life given in place of ours. The Bible says that we're, we're all sinners, and, and sin is something we're, we may be familiar with that word, it's not the things that you do. It's not the naughty words you said or the bad thoughts you had. Sin is putting yourself in God's place. And when we normalize it like that, we, we can all nod our heads and say, yeah, I've been there, done that half an hour ago on the drive to church. On the... We're all in the same boat. We, we, we all constantly face this wrestle of putting ourselves in God's place. That's at the center of our world, thinking, about, thinking it's all about us. Jesus actually should be at the center. Number one, first and foremost, 
is God's best. And He's opened a new and a life-giving way for you to be right with God in heaven. And I would love nothing more than in a moment to be able to pray for you. If you're here today and you wanna know Jesus for real, maybe like I said before, you're out of a relationship with God. You've known that or known of it, but it's kind of in the background in your world. You're not walking in a daily relationship with Him. Or maybe you're here today and for the very first time you wanna step into a relationship with Jesus. And I I don't mean doing all the churchy things. Maybe that'll come down the track, but the question I have for you is will you accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour here today? That's all it hinges on. Will you choose Jesus? Because He chooses you. So can we just... Maybe take a moment in prayer. If you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus here, then why don't you just be praying for someone else here today? Praying that God would reveal himself to them in power.